and welcome to Downton Gabby, and we are discussing the bombshell final two episodes of season two of The Gilded Age, episodes seven and eight. I'm Shannon in Seattle. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Teresa in Toronto. Bombshell. Bombshell after bombshell. Bombshell after bombshell. And we were just talking, just before we press record, we were saying that Julian is at the top of his game. I didn't know he had it in him. What he did to Oscar, playing him so dirty, I didn't even know he could do that. And I was like, Uncle Julian, okay, you spicy. I like it. Just the fact that he had all of us conned. None of us knew what was going on. And normally Julian doesn't really do that. He doesn't do something that the audience doesn't know about. He likes us to like worry if someone's going to be found out doing something. Yeah. But but this. I think that's why it worked on me so well, because I was I felt just as betrayed by Miss Beaton (laughs) as Oscar did. I was like, we spent half a fucking podcast talking about how much we liked you and you did this. To the fan rides? What? She played all of us. I'm going to say something shocking. I think this was as shocking and devastating as Sybil's death. Wow. That was the only time that Uncle Julian ever fully surprised me. And this was the same for me. That's a lot. That's a lot. I'm going there. I just feel betrayed because I said all those nice things about her dresses. Well, now we know how she's buying those. Yeah. The difference, of course, between this and Sybil's death is that Julian could pull his actual, you know, signature move and undo everything in the next episode. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Whereas through a letter, through a piece of paper. Not so much with the bringing people back to life. Yeah. Okay. But the other bombshell moment, because I just want to talk about it because I absolutely gasped, was how empty the Academy was. Yes. Wow, that was shocking. (laughs) I was also not expecting that. It was interesting because as much as the women seemed to think that it was all about the Duke, in the end, like, even Aurora showed up at the Met, you know? Like, it was just very, like, people are tired of just being told what to do, and they're interested in the new, not the old. And it's like, yeah, nobody wants to go to the old fuddy-duddy theater. But here, Julian celebrating the new over the old. That's also something fresh for him. What (laughs) happened in that writer's room? Literally, what happened? That is really shocking. Like celebrating change, unless we're supposed to feel sorry for Mrs. Astor. Maybe a little bit, but honestly, with the way that it was framed and everything, it really didn't. It didn't come off pitying to her. It came off more just like triumphant for Bertha. The only thing that wasn't a triumph, I felt, was the dress she was wearing because. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible. Her worst dress ever. I like that that, uh, like magenta floral dress that she just wears around the house. Her house dress is like way better than that. What was that? Okay. I don't know. But compared compared to that, still Gladys's dress was Oh my god. In the gosh. basement even compared to that like a first, I just I can't describe how much I hate the color lavender. I feel like that's come up before on this podcast by the way. <laughs> <laughs> then you add like a tulle thread, adding the tulle train and the puffy sleeves and everything else. I just it was in a front. Oh, and don't forget the sequence fountain on her head. <laughs> don't forget that. She looked like a character from a Dr. Seuss book. All those puffs and things everywhere. It's really bad. 
And then Marianne's shoulders too. At one point, my husband just goes, what is happening with all the shoulders on this scene? Marianne's shoulders didn't bother. I thought her dress was quite elegant, actually. The coat was a little... Um, it was kind of like fifth element sci-fi, it felt like. <laughs> Gladys's dress was awful. It, I think it was the worst of the season for me. And it was meant to be like a showstopper. And then she's meant to be like, you know, the apple of the Duke's eye or whatever's happening. And I was just like, we really needed a moment here. And I don't know what happened. <laughs> I get, I'm sure that it's probably based off of some real gown from back then. You know, like I'm not saying that the costume designer didn't do exactly what was called for in the moment. I'm just saying the moment was ugly. I mean, a lot of the Victorian color combinations are weird for us. You know how I felt when I saw her dress, to be perfectly honest? You know how in Pretty in Pink, she oh, takes yeah. a perfectly beautiful vintage <laughs> prom dress and yeah. cuts it up yeah. Yeah. and turns it into, I don't even know what the hell that is. I, I, I was so angry when I saw what she had made out of that beautiful stuff this is how i felt like how could you that's a perfect comparison because that is one of the worst dresses in film history and yet in the in the story it's meant to be so cool and pretty and she's just so creative no <laughs> she's so creative there should be limits on creativity now i, I do i want to say a word uh, about um bertha's dress though yes um you know i kind of liked it what <laughs> Therese, how? Do you like marker being drawn on a dress in a weird design? You like sea foam? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> I like the pattern. I like when she wears these dresses with patterns on them. I really like a lot of her house dresses that are sort of in the blue range and they have different black patterns on them overlaid. Yeah. Not as strong a contrast, right? I didn't mind her dress and I didn't mind that color. I didn't love the shoulders. I was looking at an Instagram account called Defunct Fashion, and it's got a picture of her in the dress. And it turns out that this is a very, very close copy of a dress by Worth. Worth was the ball gown, fine, rich lady clothing designer of that time. And even in Downton Abbey, Cora is going to Worth to get some gowns. And that pattern was is really distinctive of one of the dresses he made, although everyone was arguing whether he ever made it in that turquoise color. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were not all fans of the turquoise color. Yeah. Again, not questioning the accuracy, just the taste. Yeah, it just proves that rich people like ugly stuff too. So, Well, the real... Yeah fashion moment of the episode for me was the like wedding cake of a hat that she was wearing when she went to see the duke in his little oh, shabby hotel so good that hat was massive and i was just like if this is the last hat we see this season like this it's a triumph your hat is a triumph bertha your hat and your opera house they're both triumphs while we're on the fashion train, Marion's outfit for breaking up a dashel, it looks like she's wearing a tie. The way that they cut the the design on her dress and all I could see is that she looked like she was wearing some weird like clown tie. I think we've seen that dress before. And also the dress that she was wearing when Dashiell proposed to her, uh, she's worn several times and I'm thinking, wow, I would never have worn that dress again. I would have been so traumatized. I was just a little confused. Maybe I was distracted because I don't remember noticing that, but I was thinking about how like Ada and Agnes are in like full mourning and she obviously is 
I guess a more distant relative to Luke, but I was just, I was distracted thinking about what the like morning dress. Oh, that's a good point. Aspects of the time were. But you know what? Ada was wearing black and Agnes was wearing purple. Right. So like light morning. Yes, we can't move away from the opera house without talking about how the real song that should have been playing in the background was Big Pimpin' because Bertha sold her daughter to the Duke, basically, in order to get this tramp. Well, he's the only Duke in England. It's it. There's one Duke in England. That's him. And we got to get him. Okay, ladies. Teresa did put this in the notes where apparently these Dukes are more rare than I was really thinking. Yes, they are. They're quite rare. Because I was like, aren't these bastards a dime a dozen? And <laughs> Teresa's like, there literally is only a dozen of them. Yeah. So, Teresa, tell us tell us about the scarcity complex in Duke. Um, first of all, being a Duke is the highest title you can go. Uh, it's one up from Marquis. I'm sure I knew this at some point during Downton and then just, like, did not retain it, but. You know, we all became experts of the peerage when we were watching Downton. But so Duke is the highest. And you'll remember a Duke came to see Mary sniffing around and and took off as soon as he found out she wasn't inheriting. In the 1880s, there were only 12 Dukes in England. And of those 12 Dukes, how many do you think were young and single? Because this is a hereditary title. So you have to wait until your dad dies to get the title. Are there still like only that many Dukes? I guess I thought at some point people were like buying their titles and stuff, but maybe it was only the like lower titles. There are about 30 Dukes in England now. I I looked that up too, because I was curious. No, there aren't a lot of Dukes out there. You know, Earls are a dime a dozen. Maybe that's where I was getting confused. And also, I feel that my American pride just kicked in at some point where I was like, didn't we fight a war to get rid of these assholes? A mere hundred years earlier. Getting your daughter married off to British nobility is the ultimate pinnacle of success. Like you could have all the money in the world, but that's the step above that. Well, that's why I thought it was strange that it took so long to get to this point. Like I figured early on in the storyline would be Mrs. Astor and Bertha going back and forth, putting their daughters in front of him. And it almost seemed like an afterthought, like, well, why don't I offer my daughter and then he could just keep, you know, using our money as to keep his stupid estate going. So I don't know. That seemed to me a little strange to come in late as a as a strategy. I still feel like the absence of Carrie Astor from the storyline was very bizarre and had to have had something to do with scheduling or something because she like popped up for a second on the way to the opera. And I was like, there you are. You're still alive. Great. I think that we were building to this moment because the question is really, how awful can Bertha get? How low will she go to become the queen of of New York City? And we found out. Do you think Julian is concerned about her soul? It is an interesting question, though, especially in contrast to her husband, who seems to be questioning some of that stuff at moments over this season right and who at the end is getting tired of throwing money at his problems and doesn't want to just buy the duke right compare that to the guy who in season one like remember when he 
stormed into the bazaar that they were having that they that and and bought everything in there and and was basically like I can buy all of you people like you will show my wife respect. He's he has evolved from that man. It's a question for me how much George knew or suspected in the opera box when he turned to her and said, you know, how did you get the Duke to agree? I think he suspected, but I think he probably also trusts himself to put a stop to anything like that. Like, I do think he still thinks of himself as, you know, in charge of the family, as much as Bertha might say that that's her realm. Which she did say, you make the money and I appreciate that, but I handle everything else. Right, but... So I do think we are setting up for quite an epic battle between the two of them over Gladys. Yes, which makes, you know, one of our favorite moments of the season when he told Gladys, I will only support a love match. Uh, that makes it all the more significant because Gladys doesn't give two shits about this duke. She likes that other doofus. Billy! She just wants a, you know, a cute young man. And yeah, I could see this becoming a big issue. And I like that because this thing's been setting up all season. When he said he wouldn't give her money for paying off the duke, that's the first time we've heard him say no to her. For something that big, Yeah. Well, she made the Duke an offer he couldn't refuse. And you could see his smug face sitting in that box. He wanted to get into that purple skirt so bad. Oh, God. It was just chilling, actually. No, he's going to have a mistress. He just needs her money. Poor Gladys is just sitting there and just doesn't even know what's going on. She's still waving at that boy. Oh, she is clueless. One last comment before we move on from the opera wars. Mrs. Fish, I am so glad that she was in town for this because she was the MVP popping up in every scene, just being like line after line being like, hello, I need to hear about these divorces. I'm here for the gossip event of the season. <laughs> like, I got to go where the party's at, not this Boresville Academy that's half empty. <laughs> Warren McAllister just looked so pissed that he was there. Like, you know, he loves a good party and he just wanted to follow her so bad. Oh, he shot himself in the foot, really. But it just, mm -hmm. he picked the wrong horse. Mrs. Fish needs a bigger role in season three because I feel like I want her to be playing the role that they keep having Aurora Fane in. And Aurora oh, is just God. so boring. I know. And she's just always there being wishy washy and people are going to her house or whatever. And I'm like, can we just, can we not just slot Mrs. Fish in for this, for the whatever function someone needs to host who's not Bertha? I'm so glad you bring this up because we haven't talked about something that I hate about this show, which is Aurora Fane's husband, who just doesn't look like he fits in this era at all. <laughs> and it's so jarring every time he shows up. And I'm like, what is this guy doing here? And it just bothers me every time. Yeah. He's too tan. He doesn't fit here. I'm, he would be great in the Barbie movie or something. But I mean, the other anachronistic thing, which I am not complaining about, but it's not accurate for the time period is whenever George takes off his jacket and his biceps are fucking bulging out of his shirt. <laughs> I know, I know. And I'm like, are you pumping iron behind that oak desk? Like, what's happening? He's lifting the desk, <laughs> yeah. But also John Adams. I mean, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, he also looks like he should be in Barbie and not Gilded Age. I'm not complaining. Never complaining about such things. Not complaining, but I mean, when you have someone like um, the guy who plays Oscar, who looks like he literally stepped out of an oil painting of the era, 
malnourished in all the right ways, you know? I know you can find these people and they can also be compelling. Um, By the way, I was just watching the last season of The Crown. So Blake Ritson, the actor who plays Oscar, is in one of the episodes of this final season of The Crown playing Prince William's uh, housemaster at Eton. Is he actually British? He's actually British and he sounds very posh. Yeah. And he was very good in it. Really good. Yeah, he's great. And I thought his performance in these episodes, if we want to go back to the Van Ryan drama for a second, yes. was really, really good. Uh, I just was impressed because there was it was a high level of melodrama to pull off, but I was in it with them. From the moment, let's just walk through it. From the moment he crosses the road to shake George's hand, which is also weird, And then he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I know all my competitors. And you see his face crumple and he starts to run. And then he goes to the empty office and then like you just see him unraveling. And it's like, I mean, I thought it was going to end in suicide. So I'm so happy that we didn't go there. Mm. But like it was gut wrenching. I I just have never I didn't I texted you. I didn't think Julia Julian had it in him. I mean, this was like really twisting the knife for the character who we have been saying we love this season he's been getting all this screen time he's come alive for us we have all this sympathy for him we're rooting for him and to do this it was just absolute good drama it was it was great give it to the man and at the same time i'm still thinking some of the same things agnes says to him like you were so fucking Mm -hmm, stupid mm -hmm. like how could you be so stupid (laughs) And to not check references and to do all of that. And that's why it's even more gutting. And he's so sorry. He's just so sorry at the end. I had him on suicide watch right up until Ada inherited money. I wrote down one line from Agnes that was like the greatest drama queen performance. You ruin your mother and you tip your family into the dirt. You throw away your work of centuries. That's beautiful. I did love that, too. And I think it was really like, you know, Agnes has had plenty of lines throughout both seasons talking about like the way that she really sees their family and the way that she sees society. But something about that phrase, the work of centuries, really like brought it home for me, like the way that she really sees their position and herself at the end of this line. And then also bringing up you know, very blatantly, which she doesn't always do, the fact that she married for money, knowing it would be hard, and that she trusted her son to carry on the legacy. And and you can also see her disappointment in herself a little bit, that she had so much trust for her son. Um, I would love to dig into their relationship a little bit more in season three, because I really think they're both tremendous actors and they really feel like mother and son to me, but we don't get a ton of screen time of them together. Yeah. Um, But great, great, great acting all around. So Agnes, you know, went into basically an abusive marriage. We can assume that to get money and to get safety and security. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, I didn't know Julian had it in him. The ultimate twist of the knife, Ada fell in love, pure love, where she felt her full self and safe, and she's the one to find money to save the family in the end, not through Agnes's route, but through her own route. I think this is so beautiful to show both of these routes 
for Marion, who obviously is going to have to make some tough choices coming forward about where she's going to eventually, you know, get hitched. But I just, I love that, that like Agnes, I think is going to get even more bitter, not just about the money, but how she got it. Well, it did sustain them for decades and decades. It wasn't for nothing. Right. She probably got married 40 years ago, and it, it has supported her and, and Ada. Yeah, it's just the role reversal that's that's very interesting. And I'm sure that all of us called it on the inheritance as soon as poor Luke was dead. And, and the mere mention of a pile of paperwork, I was like, oh, he's got a fortune hidden in that pile of paperwork. Well, that's Julian, right? There's a Absolutely. letter. There's <laughs> a letter. There's a letter. There's a letter. I I do want to say like justice for Luke because his death was so fast and weird. And I I, I don't think that was handled particularly well. And also, I actually think it could have been really interesting for this all to go down with him still alive and knowing that he has all this money, but he never intended to use it while he was still living his religious life. That could have been a really interesting source of tension in season three. And now it's just the role reversal, which is interesting in and of itself, but it could have been a could have been a cool power struggle. That's a really good point, Brandy. I would like to watch that show because I think he was a great actor and I loved his final scenes with Ada and Agnes. Like all those scenes at the bedside were really poignant, really beautiful scenes. But nothing beats Bannister turning to Ada and going, what do you think? And it was like, oh, shit. And Marion being like, Guess who signs the checks now? That may have been one of my favorite scenes. When Bannister is about to leave the room, he pauses. (laughs) He turns around. (laughs) He looks at Aiden and he says, is that your wish? It was so, it was blocked so perfectly. It was like the perfect turn. It was like a stage actor's turn, you know, like very just, just a lot of, well, you could see his whole body in the shot as he spins around. Like, it was so good. And then you see it dawn on Agnes. I mean, God, it just was so perfect. It was so good. The close-up on, on Ada's face as she's taking in what he's just asked her and what that means and this smile that just, it's like her smile keeps changing. <laughs> She's yeah, like totally. Working it all out in her head and then very confidently says, yes. <laughs> it's too good. This is making the best use of all of the talented people working on this show. Everybody's going to get a raise. I, I can tell so. you that much. <laughs> <laughs> can I tell you my favorite line of the whole season, though, was one of the first lines of this final episode which is when Bertha's talking about Mrs. Turner or excuse me Miss Turner Mrs. Winterton and says basically well that bitch was ironing my old underwear I died I was just like yep hey you're ironing old underwear that's amazing like could you imagine ironing your period underwear just like that alone is hilarious but also just like yeah okay who does she think she is it was amazing yeah, she's pretty much been dismissed, Mrs. Winterton. <laughs> Between Bertha and Mr. Winterton, yeah, she's done. She's done now. Although I liked her dress. Eh. Yeah, with the flowers, that one was actually nice. Should we go over to Peggy's story? Yeah, speaking of dresses, what was that? We finally got to see her in a gown, and it had some sort of like glitter butterfly wet seal 1999 applique design on the front of it can we just acknowledge that we got the scene we have been asking for 
I was so happy. Peggy at a party. Oh, yeah. It was a great sequence. And we should note that episode seven does have Sonia Warfield with an on-screen co-writer credit. So I think that brings her to three episodes over the course of the season where she got that credit. So I'm just happy every time I see her name on the screen and that acknowledgement is made because you just know that her touch was there through everything. So Yeah, and everyone with their tiaras and and jewelry and lovely party frocks and laughing and it was so nice to see them at this formal event in in just all their glittery fabulousness the fireworks sequence was fantastic and that is the best thing i can say about peggy's storyline here at the end well okay i want to say because i've been like the biggest hater of her storyline and i want to say i really enjoyed the end not specifically with her but with her parents And I love seeing them all in different scenes that are not around them in the living room talking about the dead baby because I can't take it anymore. We had beautiful parties. We had activism. I loved her father running to get everybody to bust into the board meeting. I also love his like beautiful cane and his kid gloves. And it's like, we just get to see them in their world. And it and I love seeing them also uh, her forgive him a little bit and be like, I do want to move forward. And I don't know. I, I loved all of that. I do believe Peggy deserves better. She shouldn't have to quit her job because he can't keep it in his pants. And I'm ready to bitch about that. Mm-hmm. But I like the rest of it. I hate that she had to quit her job. Uh, bullshit. But of course she did. Uh, but the, the, it was really a good a good way to like connect her to the whole world. And I just, I, I don't know, like they sort of dropped a hint that she's going to become a novelist or something. And I'm just like, okay, well that could work, but it's not as active. It's not as fun to watch. And we're going to need a new love interest and he better be hard. Yeah. But also Brandy, you're right. Her being a, a journalist really ties her into whatever the events of the day are. Yeah, and it was fun, like the historical figures that she was encountering and all these things. So I don't know, maybe I don't think there's not another paper she can work for, is there, that would hire her? I don't, It's this is another strange choice to me. Okay, he could get run over by a carriage any moment, and then she could take over the paper. I'm serious. Oh, maybe he'll will it to her. He's run his course. What are they going to do with him next season? I'm going to say, have we seen two full seasons of this and no one has gotten run over by a carriage? Like, I'm ready for that. So it's ready for someone it's to get It's time. Final destination, this bitch. Get him out of here and get her in charge. I don't know. I, I, I am happy that hopefully we can get just kind of like a fresh start on her character next season with their parents and all of these other elements set up a little bit nicer. But I am still just mad that she had to leave her job. Yes, Because of Mr. Biceps. I'm not into it. I did really enjoy the historical moment of the Brooklyn Bridge and showing the different worlds, celebrating it. And that, you know, with infrastructure, everyone can enjoy it, right? And I just thought that was, I thought that was, they've picked really good historical moments and figures to kind of center characters and their stories around And I thought this really worked. Servants downstairs. We got another cute little romance happening with (laughs) Shep and the housekeeper, and that they got to go to the opera. Like, and Bertha waved to them. I thought that was really sweet. She was like nice. I know. 
I thought it was interesting to see her dress and what what she wore to the opera. It was pretty. It was nice that she had something she could she could bust out. Like it, I, you know, it's one of those where it's like it was probably a few seasons out of fashion, but a perfectly respectable dress, right? Just in terms of like following the costume design, we don't really see the servants all dressed up. I, and I've said before that I love it when they have a, a reason to put on their Sunday finest. And that's always, those are always cute little moments. Um, yeah, I thought it was reminiscent of when they would go to the events in the village in Downton. And those were always just really wonderful scenes. And I think overall this season, they've done better of showing the servants as actual fully fledged people. I think there's more to go. There's more to do. But I like the progress we see. Yeah, they still don't get the screen time, but I do feel like the actual moments are more about them and less about serving the dinner, you know? Oh, and apparently we are bidding adieu to Watson slash Collier. Another really awkward scene revolving around that storyline that took place 90% off screen for some reason. (laughs) Was there something weird going on with the way people were acting towards the new French ladies maid? Like, what was happening there? It's kind of weird. I don't people just kept like looking at her or there and there was like a pause whenever she would say something like they were like, are you done? <laughs> I was just like, oh, what's going on? I don't know. Maybe she'll have some secret that we'll learn about. Maybe she's not really French. Either. <laughs> wow. They're all just on the lookout for fake French accents now. She's from Missouri. Yeah. I do want to take a minute to talk about Armstrong, though. Um, which all I wrote in the notes was that she can go suck an egg, but I actually thought that that scene between her and Agnes was really poignant. And overall, just Agnes's attitude towards her as a sort of pitiable figure, but her pitiable figure <laughs> is sort of fascinating. It reminded me that Armstrong, <clears throat> sorry, it reminded me that Armstrong has probably been with her since she got married. So Armstrong's seen it all. And and was the only person I bet a lot of the time Agnes could talk to. And other than in season one, when she like, she like, what happened? She visited a, a sister who was very poor or something. Her mother. Yes. I mean, we literally like, she doesn't go out. Like her world is this house in a way that none of the other characters really think about it that way. You know, and in contrast to, you know, you have a character of Jack who's looking for his next big thing in life. And even even the rest of them who obviously when they were going to lose their jobs, that was major. Like none of them were feeling it on like uh, an identity level the way that she was. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really interesting. And I mean, obviously, Deborah Monk's a wonderful actress and, you know, she hasn't necessarily been given enough to do um, for her stature, but. I don't know. It's not that I felt sorry for her, really. It's just that it's there really was some depth there that was interesting to watch get peeled back between between those two women, between that. Yeah, as you're saying, Teresa, they probably have known each other for like 40 years. And that might be the most candid conversation they've ever had. And yet and yet she would know every intimate detail about Agnes's life. But I have really enjoyed the servants scenes in Agnes's house. And I feel like, like the cook and, you know, everything with the patent, I actually don't care so much about Jack's storyline. It's like, I love all of them being excited for him and helping him get this big shot. And it's like, I can't believe I haven't seen more shows about this time in history. Like anybody truly could be, could leapfrog 
over, you know, like we talk about Peggy's father, that he was a slave and now he's wearing kid gloves with a with a beautiful silver tipped cane and he owns a business. Jack is, yeah, he's serving dinner. His invention could be in like a future car, you know, like it's just wild to me that why are there not more stories about this time when people could just leapfrog class in a way that you couldn't in other time periods? America. As the biggest hater of the clock storyline. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Go for it. I do want to say that I actually liked where it ended up. And I really like the idea of watching a servant and a very rich man go into business together and the things that could happen there. Do I necessarily trust Julian to get into the nuances the way we would need to? I don't know. But it's definitely the most interesting thing that Larry's done in two seasons. Well, he's given up being an architect, and now he wants to be a venture capitalist. Well, that is accurate for a young rich man who can dabble in whatever the hell he wants, right? So is this just dabbling for Larry where it's life-changing for Jack? Like, that could be a really interesting thing to get into later on, you know? And I think it was a real moment when Jack says, well, I have to go back and serve dinner. And he walks away and and Larry and Marion sort of exchange a look. And I I felt like Larry looked on that in a kind way. Like, maybe you won't be serving dinner soon. There's something about those moments that, like, I mean, it does get, it, it gets to anybody who's striving, like, Jack presenting his idea and then having to go serve dinner. Like, that reminds me of me when I was like, okay... I have a, I'm pitching my show to Netflix at 1 p.m. And then I have to take notes in someone else's meeting at 2 p.m. You know, like because you are trying to make it happen, but you still got to pay the bills and you're like you're like touching greatness. But someone has to pull you up and you're not quite there yet. Oh, that really worked for me. That was perfect. Brandy, that was amazing. That's exactly what it's like. Uh huh. We're just so good with the metaphors today. Let's just pat ourselves on the back. (laughs) We've never been better at this podcast than right now. I'll tell you that. Well, I guess speaking of Larry, we have one storyline to... Oh, they're so boring. The the great line of Marion's after they kissed. Oh, that's all you have to say? But have we talked about her breaking it off with Dashiell yet? No, because we all knew it was going to happen. So, Brandy, did you make a note about um, how you weren't so happy? Yeah, I... I did say in our notes that I'm I wasn't so happy because I really wanted her to I just wanted Marion to have a moment where she was really saying I want this and not that and instead it all came back around to Dash while still being in love with his dead wife there was no moment where she was just like hey that was fucked up that you proposed in front of everyone and I went along with it even though I didn't want to and now I have the power to reverse my decision like it just wasn't it wasn't framed the way that I felt that it should be for what really happened and how it all went down. And that she wants to teach and he just wants her to host parties and buy dresses, you know, like and have babies and have babies. Exactly. Yeah. OK, but in her defense, this is her cousin. This is somebody she's going to see over and over and over again for the rest of her life. This is someone that she decided to be really diplomatic with because of that. And she wants to keep the peace. And also his daughter. I thought what she said to Bad Seed was was nice. I want to be there for every stage in your life and dance at your wedding. 
Look, she's going to see these people again. You're right. But I guess I could have used like a scene with her and Peggy talking about the real shit or something like like you are interpreting it that way. And I see that as a valid interpretation, but I don't necessarily think that it's in the text. Um, And that's just the deal with this character. She's kind of wishy-washy and she's not that strong. She's getting better, but it's 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 slow going. She was obviously telegraphing something to Ada because Ada knew exactly what was going yeah. on. I love their connection. Yeah, it's really nice. The way she picks up on Marion's little cues and her facial, you know, like you said, she had like five smiles in that scene. Their connection is one of my favorite parts of the season. Ada watches mm-hmm. and pays attention. And so she really sees what's happening. You can see that especially with her and Marion. Yeah. I really liked the scene between Marion and Agnes where Agnes was like, listen, you go, you can do this, but you've got two strikes against you now, which granted one of those is erased by the end when they're going to be rich again. But like the idea that it's like, you know, you, you've been in town for a couple seasons now. We're about to have a scandal losing all our money and you called off an engagement like like there will be there will be talk about you. Now that Larry's kissed her. God, Larry's damaged goods. Larry's the one who's been sticking a dick around town. Come on. I really like their friendship. I have to think about how I feel about them, actually, if they were to, you know, hook up. Although, of course, <laughs> Marion marrying the son of Bertha Russell is the ultimate slap in the face. Yeah, that's what makes it interesting. I mean, Agnes still thinks that Bertha is saying and doing things just to troll her. And it's like, oh, Agnes. Bertha's moved on. Very the madman. I don't think about you at all. She's not like, yeah, for Mrs. Astor, yeah. But Agnes is just like Mrs. Astor's little friend to Bertha. It's really not about that. So do we have predictions for next season? Well, I think the biggest one we all agree on is the fight over Gladys and her soul. Dr. Faustus, Gladys edition. Yes, Faust. Uh, I didn't even mention that. The fact that they're watching Faust about someone who makes a deal with the devil. I don't know what my predictions are. I mean, I wonder what's going to happen with Oscar. He's sort of back to square one with everything, right? And I would love to see a good storyline for him. Obviously, you know, we can start our boyfriend for Barrow-esque hashtag for him. Um, yes. But maybe he'll get involved with the clock. I don't know. Maybe, oh, maybe he'll get involved with the clock. That's as good as you've got. <laughs> That's all I've got. I don't know where, I don't know where it's going to go. Oh, man. I've got it. I've got a prediction for Oscar. He's going to go West. What does he have in society here? Nothing. I think he's going to be like, I'm cashing out my inheritance early. I'm going to go West and he's going to like end up in San Francisco or something. I was just going to say like spin off Gilded Age, San Francisco. Yes, because that's we. When does the gold rush happen? Okay, Therese, get on it. I don't know when it does. 1849. Yeah, we're past that. There's interesting things happening already. I don't think there's much future for his storyline by staying in town unless he's going to get forced into a marriage and things like that, which would be very predictable. But I almost think they're going to have him go off on an adventure. This, I mean, this is, again, the same thing that I always said that I wanted for Thomas on Down Abbey. We're back to cowboys. Well, I think we're in for it. I think that's great. 
We didn't get any big developments with the strike stuff in the finale, which makes me wonder if that's actually going to be kind of swept aside in favor of some smaller storylines for George, some more domestic storylines like the Duke, like all of this back home, which I would prefer because, I mean, I'd rather see him interacting with Bertha than with his, you know, henchman slash secretary. Well, that was a, like a sort of a long, long term thing so it was going to be like six months before the contract expired yeah i mean i'll come back around all these labor disputes obviously actually took decades upon decades (laughs) i would rather they stuck around home a little bit more for his storyline in season three i'm gonna make a prediction caroline astor is going to they're gonna have a vine for the duke okay I mean, let's get her in. Let's get her in here. Let's get these dances going. Yeah, let's get her back in here. Whatever agent fucked up the contract for that actress for this season, let's hope that it's let's hope that it's been resolved because that is just baffling to me to have that one of the characters who's actually a historical figure just like not there. I made some predictions that didn't happen, like Marion finding out about Oscar and keeping his secret for him, but that still could still happen. I'm liking the Marion and Larry thing just because it's such a insult to Agnes if that happens, like the ultimate insult, and she'll have to deal with it. That's really the only reason I like it is because it's a storyline that links the two families and they're feeling pretty separate for a lot of this season. I don't know. They're so unsexy together. I don't know. Okay, well, neither of them is spicy, so... We could use a new spicy character, like yeah, we need someone spicy to come in. We need a who is Mrs. Fish going out drinking with? Because Warren McAllister is out. We need somebody like what's Theo James up to? Can he get in here? (laughs) Don't tempt me. Yes, the arrival of the Turk. That's what we need. I'm a little like, what's going to be next? I do think the battle over the Duke. I think we're going to go to England. I think we're going to have scenes in New York and England. Okay. What do you think is going to happen with Peggy? She, I think she's going to become like a novelist and just, I just, I don't trust that it's going to be very exciting, but. And I think she's taking over the paper. I literally am saying that right now. Or she's going to run for like school board, political office. Like she's ambitious. She's not going to sit and write a novel. More parties on the other side of the Brooklyn Bridge, please. And just like a bestie for her in that ro- in that world, you know? We said earlier this season that she needs a cousin Rose. That's what I really want. I hope you're right. Okay, you're manifesting that. All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Downton and Gabby about this bombshell final two episodes of The Gilded Age. We are here. We are in it. We cannot wait for the next season. I mean, gosh, I don't, they must be sewing already all those dresses because they change dresses every two seconds. So hopefully we'll get a new season soon. But let's wrap this up with one fabulous thing. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I I think I've picked a movie like every time. That's very new. Season. But I'm going to shout out if you haven't seen Godzilla Minus One yet. It is so fucking good. And let me tell you, I don't care about Godzilla one diddly damn at all. I'm really shocked that you're saying these words. Godzilla. And I loved this movie. I mean, everyone is everyone is talking about how it's so great. I just want to say, like, it's not like great for a Godzilla movie. It's not like great for fans of the franchise. It's incredible. <laughs> and 
I cried my face off watching this fucking Godzilla movie. Don't understand any words you're saying. I, I, are you having a stroke? What are you talking about right now? <laughs> because, first of all, it, it's a Japanese movie. It's in Japanese. It's set in the aftermath of World War II. It's basically a really, really good drama about the grief of getting over a war. And also they have to fight a giant monster. And it's so well acted and so well written. It is just, it is cinema. It is like popcorn cinema at its absolute finest. And I really can't wait to see it again. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's in the theaters? Yes, it's in the theaters right now. You shocked me. I wasn't expecting that. I like to zig when you think I'm going to zag, okay? Not a Rick on Stark here. That's fine. Run a straight line. <laughs> what a Jeez. deep cut right there. <laughs> All right, I'll go next. And I have been enjoying the show Slow Horses on Apple TV. Slow Horses is a great spy show. And Gary Oldman is like this disgusting leader of basically the losers of MI5. He really reminds me of like the main character of Confederacy of Dunces. I don't know if anybody read it, but I'm pretty sure he's based off that main character. That's sad. Yeah, he is kind of sad. But he's also hilarious every character is perfection it's a little male heavy i feel like you know because we tend to pick things that are more female character heavy for our recommendations they're definitely the dudes shine a little brighter than the women in the storylines but each season has been a really good arc of a you know case they're trying to crack plus each character is really funny really true to themselves but still surprising dark humor It's really hard to pull off and they do it. My One Fabulous Thing is a podcast which just finished its latest season, but it is called Articles of Interest. It's hosted by Avery Truffleman. That is an amazing name. She's super cool. It's about fashion, but it's about sort of the sociology of fashion. There's an episode on pockets. Why do women have shitty pockets on their clothes? The history of pockets. Um, there's another one on the evolution of of plaid from tartan to like punk rock. She did an entire season on Ivy style. So how the Ivy League style evolved from the 1920s all the way to Ralph Lauren, like hip hop guys wearing Ralph Lauren and Tommy Hilfinger. Um, how am, I, am I selling this well? I'm interested. So she looks at everything from a really interesting place. Um, she's talk, she talks about history. She talks about social trends and pop culture. And she answers questions you didn't even know that you had. I went to a live recording actually recently that they did, and it was about shoes. <laughs> so it's called Articles of Interest. It has a massive cult following. And Avery Truffleman is very cool. And it can be found anywhere you find podcasts. So I highly recommend it. Listen to the first ever episode, which is about pockets and you will be hooked. Yeah, I want to know about the oppression of pockets because why were they withheld from us for so long? Exactly. To sell purses, right? It's complicated. I love it. It sounds fascinating. Oh, and by the way, Brandy, thanks for the tip on Saltburn. I went to see it. It is fabulous and everyone should go see it. Not everyone will like it. See how you feel. I mean, I honestly didn't even quite know how I felt when I walked out, but I couldn't get it out of my head and I can't wait to see it again. Ditto. 
All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Downton Gabby. We loved talking about the Gilded Age. And I'm really sad to put up my elaborate necklace that has pearls and diamonds. And now I have to just wear my hair down like a peasant without my tiara in it. And it's really hard to let go of the Gilded Age. But you never know. We might have a couple little surprises later on throughout the year. And we will definitely see you for the drama next season. Loved it. Great job. 